Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. So the, the first thing, before we even enter the text, the first thing I, I want to say about this text is I'm always curious how and why this made it in, right? There's something about this story that was compelling enough that it stayed in circulation and became a part of the canon. Um, I'm not sure I'm ever going to have the answer to that question. Like, why this story? Um, and... I think it's hard to argue that this is not a, a powerful and compelling story. It's not one we may like. Doesn't mean it's not compelling, right? Um, there are films that I don't like, that I don't want to see, that I know are still compelling pieces of filmmaking, right? That are really important pieces of, of fiction for some people. I just don't choose to see them. I don't like them. It doesn't speak to me. So, um, all right, so let's jump into the actual text. All right, so we're we're picking up at the end, um, at the end of the parsha before, um, and we're we're gonna get uh, uh, we're gonna get something that tells us we now are separating completely as we had um, last week. We're, we're now talking about a whole other thing, okay? And, and that clue for us is by he achard by Yemael, 22, 1, chapter 22, verse 1. All right, by he achard by Yemael, after these things, meaning things that we just talked about in the previous parsha, and God tests Avraham. Notice we are now dealing with Avraham, not Avram, right? We've got a hey added to Avram's name. He's now Avraham. She's no longer Sarai, but Sarah with a hey at the end of her name. Um, I've never heard until I listened to this lecture by Aviva Zornberg. I've never heard the interpretation that the hey could mean, I always hear it means it's part of God's name that gets added to Avraham and Sarah. God's yod vav has two Hays. One of them goes to Avraham. One of them goes to Sarah. So this is about incorporating God's name into Avraham and Sarah's names. Um, that's how I grew up learning about this. Um, but Aviva Zorenberg says that one interpretation of the rabbis is that the hay in Avraham is the inquisitive hay. Right? If you want to make a question in Hebrew, you add a hay to the beginning. And that makes it a question so that this is the interrogative interrogative um, that this is the questioning. Hey, because Avraham has proven himself ready to question God in Sodom and Gomorrah. So interesting. So Avraham, the questioner um, is, is being addressed here. So God is testing Avraham, the questioner. And says to him, um, Avraham. So God calls Avraham by name, Vayomer, and he says, meaning Avraham, Hineni. Right? The correct response to the divine call, Hineni. I'm here. I'm ready. Or yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Right? That's the correct. You call someone's name in the South. The correct response is yes, ma'am. Vayomer. 
Kachna et bincha et yechidcha asher ahavta et itzchak. So there's lots written about this. We're not going to stay here. Um, but lots written about why, why this iteration. It's pretty obvious. Just say Yitzchak, right? After the end of that long thing, it's at Yitzchak. Why start with take your son, your only son that you love, Yitzchak? All right. Because first of all, Yitzchak is not Yechid. He's not Avraham's only son. He's Sarah's only son. So, so some people want to say, yeah, but Yechid here doesn't mean um, only. It means unique, singular, meaning the one you favor, the one you love the most. That's why it's followed with Asherah Hafta, that you love, meaning that you prefer. You could argue, like, but okay, but we get this whole long list at Yitzchak, the Lech Lecha El Eretz Hamoriah. We get Lech Lecha again. Like, remember, that was the beginning of the Parsha, Lech Lecha. So we get a second Lech Lecha. One, trust me enough to leave your home and everything familiar to you and go to a place that I will show you. I'm not even telling you where you're going, so you can't look it up on GPS. <laughs> like, you're just going to have to trust me. And Abraham does. Now we're getting a second, in some ways, way more difficult Lech Lecha, trust me. Do as I ask. So you're going to take your son, and now you have to respond to Lech Lecha again. To go to Moriah, why? That you will offer him up as a holocaust. On one of the hills that I will show you. All right. What is the response? Abraham got up early. The next morning and he saddles his ass and he takes two youths with him and takes Yitzchak Bno, Yitzchak his son. And he cuts up wood and gets up and goes to the place that God told him about. On the third day, on the third day, Abraham lifts his eyes and sees the place from afar. All right. The Svadamet, we're going to do a little bit of the Svadamet. This is where the Svadamet is going to lean in to this verse. First of all, by Yom Ashlishi, it's taken them three days. Not, not one mention of a conversation between Abraham and Yitzchak. Where does Yitzchak think he's going? With all of the accoutrement for a sacrifice, like a bunch of split wood on top of a donkey. Like, it's obvious what's happening here, but there's no animal being taken for sacrifice. So what does Yitzchak think? Uh, did Avraham check with Sarah about this idea? What do we think Sarah would have said about this idea? Bad idea, idea, says Sarah Moskovitz. (laughs) That Sarah Imenu, Sarah, our mother, would have said, I don't think so. Possibly, this is one commentary. This is why Abraham gets up early. (laughs) He sneaks out before Sarah's up because he does not want to deal with Sarah Imenu around this. Okay. The other is that he is 
it's with alacrity that he's doing this. He's, he's eager to please God. Okay. So, um, so we're going to look at this verse in more detail that he sees Hamakom. He sees the place Merachok from far away. What else can Hamakom mean in rabbinic Hebrew? God. God. One of the names for God is Hamakom, the place, capital P. Vayomer Avraham el Ne'arav, and, and so Avraham says to his youths, Shvulachempo, y'all stay here with the donkey. But I and the youth, meaning Yitzchak, right? We're going to go on, right? And we're going to nishtachavet. We're going to literally bow, but presumably it's a euphemism for worship, right? We're, we're going to do some kind of ritual thing. Um, and then we'll return to y'all. And so Abraham takes the wood for the offering. Vayasem al Yitzchak bno and place them upon Yitzchak, and he takes in his hand haesh, the thing that's going to be used to make fire, the etamachelat, and the knife that one uses to create something that you're going to eat. yachdav, and the two of them go off together. And Yitzchak says to his father. Uh, so, Vayomer Yitzchak el Avraham Aviv, and Yitzchak says to his father Avraham, Vayomer, and he says, Avi, my father, Vayomer, and he says, Hineni, here I am, Bni, my son, Vayomer, and he says, Hine haesh veayetzim, the aye haseh leola, here's the fire and the wood, and but where is the the oh, the, the seh? Where's the lamb for the offering? Vayomer Avraham, and Avraham says, Elohim yir God will see to literally will see to the lamb for the ola bni my son. and the two go off together, and they come to the makom to the place. That God, I told him of. There, Abraham built the altar and arranged the wood, and bound Yitzchak his son, and placed him on the altar atop the wood. We have to ask the question: How old is Yitzchak? How old is Yitzchak? So, could Yitzchak have fought his father, or does this mean, by definition, Yitzchak assents? Yitzchak agrees to be bound. And Abraham stretches out his hand and took the ma'achelet lishchot et bno and takes the knife to slay his son. Vayikra elav malach yudhevafe and a and a, a messenger of yudhevafe calls to him mina shemayim from the heavens vayomer and says Abraham notice this this line in between the two times. There's a line in between Avraham and Avraham a second time. The rabbis make much of this. Avraham, Avraham, Vayomer Hineni. The Malach calls Avraham and then calls Avraham again. And Avraham says, Hineni, here I am. Vayomer. And he says, and it turns out this is the Malach, Al Tishlach Yadcha Elena don't send forth your hand against the boy, 
Don't even do to him a flesh wound, like, you know, any, anything that would mar him. So these two plays on the word ata for now, ata with an ayin, for now, yadati ki yirei Elohim ata. Now I know that you fear God and you did not withhold you did not withhold your son, your unique beloved one from me. So now Abraham lifts his eyes again and he sees behold there's a ram Achar. It should say Acharav behind him. It doesn't. This is another thing this Fatimet's going to play with. It just says behind, after. Behind and after are the same word in Hebrew. Achar. Just weirdly, grammatically weird. There's a ram after. It appeared. Behind. It is, and it's caught, it's gripped by, in the thicket, by its karnav, by its horns. And Abraham goes, and he takes the ram, and he offers it at a, as a sacrifice instead of his son. And Abraham calls this place Adonai Yireh. God sees Asher Yamer Hayom Behar Adonai Yireh. As the saying is today, on God's mountain it is seen, says my um, English translation. And uh, then we um, then we get uh, the the angel calling again and says, "I swear." Indeed, because you have done this thing, have not withheld your son, you on, your only one. Indeed, I will bless you. Bless you, I will make your seed many, like the stars of the heavens and like the sand that is on the shore of the sea. Your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies, and all the nations of the earth shall enjoy blessing through your seed, in consequence that you hearkened to my voice. Much is made of the fact that now in this next verse, verse 19, the end of our story, Vayashav Avraham el Na'arav. And Avraham returns to the youth. Mm-hmm. No mention of Isaac. So there is a Midrashic tradition that Yitzchak is offered. Uh, Yitzchak dies. There is a Midrashic tradition that Yitzchak dies. There's, there's a Midrashic right, interpretation, of course, that, that, um, uh, Acharimot, that the next parsha begins with the death of Sarah because Satan has told Sarah what is happening. And Sarah dies of grief. There's a Midrashic tradition that Isaac is actually back home and went back home and um, got there before Avraham. And Satan told her what was happening. She sees her son. I gave a sermon on this on Rosh Hashanah. She sees her son and she realizes how close he came to being dead. And she dies. Devar Mu'at. That just a tiny little thing separates her child being alive from her child being dead was such a stark and shocking realization to her that she dies. 
So all over the Midrashic tradition, there is awareness of the horror of this story and what it, what it, what it evokes. And it remains a part of our canon, right? It made it in, it made the cut. There is something about this story, however hard it is, that has remained compelling to the Jewish people. So, um, given the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I would have to check the Midrash to see what they do. I don't know if he's resurrected or, you know. I think that's a different religion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's also enough that um, this family is completely destroyed. Yes. There was peace to be Whatever, you know, what happens between Abraham and Sarah and if she survived, I mean, it's that marriage is point asunder. One would imagine that that relationship undergoes a pretty significant shift. <laughs> right. Um, after the results of the story are are the questions that we ask, but the story itself is such a question. Why was God? Well, right. So that's so right. So of course that right. When I said it's a theological challenge, of course that's the the theological challenge is why would an all good, all knowing, all powerful God demand such a thing? Right. All right. So right. So that's. So, and why doesn't Abraham, who argued for the innocence of Stelm and Gomorrah, why doesn't he argue for the life of his son? Yitzchak, where's our questioning Abraham now? If that hay in his name means questioning, the heck? Isaac doesn't say anything. Right? It's loaded with stuff that's not said. So... This is part of a bride because you did this thing and you didn't don't withhold your son. You will be blessed with many sons now. That's also this is this is what this is exactly what all of the commentary is going to focus on. Okay, so you have to pick from the commentaries which one interests you. I have chosen for me right now what commentary spoke to me about different aspects. We could spend three weeks studying this text and not get to the bottom of all of the Midrashim and all of the questions and all of the ways that we are challenged by this story, by every character in this story, from God to Abraham to Yitzchak to Sarah to Satan, you know, all of them. Like we, absolutely. All right, so let's... What if Abraham were optimistic? He says, <laughs> we will return to the uh, his people, uh, the two guys that were with him. Lovely. Look at you, George, picking up on the positive aspects of the sto- of a really, really dark story. I am impressed. I am impressed. Okay. So, cause, cause usually George is the one to lift up, you know, this God, what is going on with this God? All right. So that maybe Abraham trusts that they will return, that they're going to come back, that God cannot possibly mean to actually sacrifice his son. He knows this God too well. All of the commentary focuses on the fact that Abraham's only understanding of a possible future is tied up with Isaac. So all the commentary that that I've studied agrees that that this is somehow, this whatever's going on between God and Abraham here, it is something about is Abraham willing 
to put the future on the line. Aviva Zornberg talks a lot for my psychoanalytic friends in the room, talks a lot about Midrash that talks about Avraham's father was ready to kill Avraham and, and does kill Avraham's brother. So, so that Avraham himself is carrying the shadow of his father being willing to sacrifice him and that always our, our trauma and our pain that we want to shield our children from comes onto our children. Not maybe not to the extent as it did for us, because maybe we're, we do a decent job of shielding them, but the act of trying to shield them from all of our pain actually impacts our children. And we're going to see a poem by Amichai that gets to this. So, so there's all this stuff about the past and the future, but this is something about Abraham and his relationship to the future. Who's Abraham's father? Terah. Terah killed. In the Midrashic tradition, right. Terah punishes Abraham. He takes him to court for destroying all of his idols. He was an idol builder. And the court would have imposed capital punishment on Abraham. But a miracle happens and Abraham survives, but the brother does not. So he was, so Abraham knows his father was willing to sacrifice him to the courts by turning him in. And his brother does die. So his father does in some ways commit, I forget, Nahor, I think. Wasn't it common in other societies at the time to do human sacrifice? Yes. So they would have, I mean, Abraham would have expected that to be part of what was going on. It could, it could have, it could be. I've always read this story as being God saying, don't do human sacrifice. Because that makes us happy. Yeah, it makes me. That makes us happy. I don't think that's, I don't think that, I don't buy that explanation as the reason this story's here. There could have been a way different way to get at it without this tangled awfulness first. I, I, I don't disagree that, like I know, but I'm just saying, like, I'm not, I'm sure it doesn't have, Nothing to do with the fact that God doesn't want human sacrifice, but there could have been a way less dark way, <laughs> right? To tell that story, like don't sacrifice your children <laughs> in a bunch of laws. <laughs> don't sacrifice your children, right? Huh? Really a commandment number eleven. A commandment number eleven. Don't kill your children. Oh, just that God doesn't typically have a problem being clear. Right. Exactly. If God really wanted to be clear, God doesn't usually have a problem figuring out how to say what God needs to say. All right, let's see what the Svadimet says. So this is Rabbi Aaron Lieb Smokler bringing us the Svadimet. On the third day, remember we saw this verse? And Abraham lifts his eyes. And Abraham sees the place from afar. Okay? From afar. It is these last few words that capture the attention of the Svadimet. Abraham saw Vayar, the place from afar. He gazed upon the mountain at a distance. He beheld the sight that would hold his sacrifice. In this moment of cinematic pause, the Svaremet sees a test unto itself. In the trial of the Akedah, the binding, right, of Isaac, it is written, On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place, Merachuk, from afar. God tested Abraham in the virtue of awe of Yir'ah. Because Abraham was primarily characterized by love and closeness to God. 
as the verse says, now God said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Meaning God couldn't even imagine not telling Abraham what God was about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah because Abraham and God are that close. And, and in the Madrashic tradition, Abraham is completely associated with the, with the virtue of chesed. Okay. Of, of love and of loving kindness. Yitzchak is Gevura. Okay. Which makes sense. So Abraham is chesed. So what Svar Ahmed is saying is Vayar is going to have something to do with the end of the story when we get, now I know that you are Yirat Adonai. You fear God. This is all about a test to see if Abraham could live into the, the characteristic of relating to God out of awe and fear and wonder rather than love and connectedness. A little bit to what you were saying. Okay. So let's, let's hold it. Let's hold it. And for this reason, the verse says after the Akedah, now I know that you fear God, meaning now I know that you can relate to God from the aspect of awe and fear. Similarly, Abraham names the place Adonai Yir'eh. God will see or God will fear because this is the place where he, Abraham, learned Yir'ah, learned wonder, fear, awe, right? All of those are tied up in the Hebrew word Yir'ah. Playing with the Hebrew word vayar, to see. He claims that God tested Abraham in the midah, the virtue of yir'ah, awe. Could Abraham engage the eternal with all rather than with his moral nature, his more natural form of engagement? Love. Would he follow a force that inspires fear when he is otherwise so driven by desire? Would he still come close to a divinity that appears only at a distance? Merachok. He sees it from far away. The Svatimed is saying, no, realize this is Abraham now having to figure out how to relate to a God that he feels distant from. He's used to feeling close to God out of love. Now, can Abraham relate to a force that is about Yirah, the hard stuff? Because Abraham feels mirachok, feels distanced from that. Naturally, he feels, he's naturally distanced from that. Because he normally comes out right out of the aspect of relating to God through love and closeness. All right. So I can't decide if I should go on or if I should stop here. Um, but, okay. Let's go on a little bit. This Fatimet suggests that the distance between Abraham and God through this trial was born of the gap between, so the Merachok, this, this, this language about from afar, distance. What is that distance about? It's born of the gap between Abraham's inclinations toward love and God's uncomfortable push toward submissive fear. The God of year, I was relatively unknown to Abraham until this point. He would have to learn to come close to this foreign force. One who makes wild, irrational, painful demands. In a similarly themed discourse offered two years earlier in 1880, the Rebbe articulates the distance this way. Now I know that you fear God. We ask, was not Abraham's service out of love, which is higher than serving from fear? Right. We're always told serving. You should serve God out of love, not fear. You should have some of both. But but really, the aspect of loving God and serving God out of love is higher than that of fear. So if we know that Avraham was already there, why does why do we need why did he need to be tested to see if he could do it for, for, out of fear? 
Why does the verse attribute to Abraham only fear of God? In truth, it was not God's will that Isaac be sacrificed, and Abraham's heart therefore felt no attachment or love for this act because it was not God's true will. That is why it was a trial. And that is why the verse says he saw the place from afar. In other words, the distance between Abraham and God was born of the gap between God's desires and God's words. To to George's point, Abraham sensed because Abraham was so close to God. Abraham knew the words did not match the divine will. So when someone says to you, oh, yeah, that color looks really great on you. And you're like, right, the, the words don't match the nonverbal communication that is screaming, go change your shirt. <laughs> and I'm picking a, a silly example on purpose, right? That, that, that there is, there is an aspect of Avraham that knows God so well that Avraham hears in the command hears that this is, he got, he hears God's nonverbal communication that this is not God's will, but has to tie his son to the wood anyway. He's going to violate what is the divine will out of a willingness to serve God. That is a, that is a radical crazy kind of statement right there. So the, the, the Svatamet seems to be suggesting would he followed the command of God to sacrifice his son, even when he knows that is not what God wants. Well, forget about Isaac for a minute. The spot of doesn't care about Isaac. We're talking about Avraham. Will he follow the divine command, even when he knows it's not what God really wants? So who's testing whom? Who's testing whom on some level? All right. So perhaps your ah means trusting a God whose ways are perplexing, even self-contradicting. It means yielding to hamakom, the place, meaning God, even when it feels so very far away. So what I want to say about when you say, okay, Rabbi, why did this speak to you this year? Because I feel in a way that the Svat Emet is asking, can we who like relating to God out of the yummy, fluffy, good stuff also relate to the fact that if God is part of everything, we also have to confront the ultimate reality, capital R, and affirm reality, capital R, that includes horror and the horror of what human beings can do to each other. Do you see what, see where I'm going? Was that too big a leap or did that make sense? That's what called to me out of the Sfat Emet. The Sfat Emet is say, or how I would, how I would use the Sfat Emet is to say, if like Rami Shapiro says, what we mean by God is the unfolding of the universe, the mystery at the heart of reality, reality capital R, then we have to be able 
to face both the good, yummy stuff, compassion, forgiveness, transformation, all of that, and the horror that human beings wreak on each other as part of the unfolding of the universe. We don't have to like it. We don't have to not want it. Double negative. We, we don't, we can want it to stop. We can want to improve. We can want to do it better, even though Mr. Busy over there doesn't think it's possible for humanity, right? Because the record proves, but we can want that. We don't have to stop wanting that to have to confront that it is. That can either lead some folks to say, therefore, there is no God, or it has to expand our capacity to hold what God might contain, what reality contains. And that leaves us in a place of fear, awe, overwhelm. Right. I talked to a group of 65 moms at a country club this week who are terrified of bringing their little ones into this world. So's Avraham. He has to learn to relate to the ultimate capital U out of a sense of fear year ah, about what could happen to his child, what the ultimate might demand of us, which, as I said last week, People who are in Israel are put are watching their children put on uniforms because the ultimate is going to demand from them possibly sacrificing their children for the greater purpose, mission, good, whatever we want to call it, of there being a homeland for the Jewish people because we are at an existential moment. That is what the Sfat Emet, I think, is getting at, that there are times where year ah is the only relationship to what's ultimate, to reality, capital R, does not mean we don't want it to change, that we don't want to be better, that we shouldn't work for a better world where that's not the case. Those do not negate each other. However, until we bring Yemen Mashiach, until we create the messianic age, this is what we're stuck with. And don't deny that it's part of And don't deny that it's part of the miraculous unfolding of this crazy, broken, shattered, amazing world. They are not mutually exclusive, is what the Sfat Emet is saying is the test. Can we go there? Can we be bold enough and brave enough and trusting enough like Avraham that there is yet meaning here. Yes. Even Sarah says yes. Because it has happened in our Bible. We're seeing it. I think this is one of the most important Torah studies that I've ever listened to. Thank you. <laughs> So it's there in our Bible. And I would say, because I know your history, Sarah, and how close you are to the stories of the Shoah. So it not only happened in our Torah, it happened in our close lifetimes, if not, you know, our lifetime, then very close to it, certainly in yours. And we, we have confronted it before. And it turns out we're having to confront it again. Mm -hmm. This time we will fight. 
this time is different. It's not over. And it's not that it's not going to be horrible. And it's already horrible on every single level. But this time is different. That's what we have to hope for is that, and it may happen again, but that hopefully that time is different in a way that it means it is not the horror that we once saw that could have meant the destruction in large part of the Jewish people. Okay, so I, that was a lot. So I just want to get, let's give it, let's like honor that that was a lot. Like Aviva versus Orenberg said. Good on you that you walked in here and I'm sorry. Sorry that this was it this morning. Okay, so I want to move just in one move because I think it's a really powerful move. Um, what time are we at? Okay. Okay. Um, so I want to move to this next idea, holding all that we just said, confronting what is, capital I, doesn't mean we don't want it to be different. Those, those are held in tension. Look at the gorgeousness, gorgeousness of where the tradition goes in interpreting this text. This is from a, a, a blog post. Somebody will have to tell me how to figure out who wrote it. I, I, it, I don't know who wrote it. I couldn't find a name on it. Um, so we're going to go down to the highlighted paragraph that I have on the screen. I'm not going to do the whole thing because we don't have time, but I'm, I want to do this. Most strikingly, however, he, he, this person is going on from what they wrote before. The Midrash focuses on the ram's position. Remember I pointed this out? The ram is achar. Abraham lifts up his eyes and he saw, behold, a ram, achar. In order to see it, he's told, chazot le'acharecha. In the Midrash, God says, turn around. Look behind you. In this way, the Midrash addresses the anomalous use of achar, behind, as though it were syntactically detached from its, its context. Not acharav, behind him, but simply and enigmatically achar. The flow of the sentence halts, questions gather. Does this refer to space? The space behind Avraham hidden that's other or time? After the ram whose horns will offer atonement for the future is to be found in the world of Achar Hadvarim Ha'ela after these things, where what lies behind the apparent facts, what happened before the residues of the past suffuse the present. What lies behind Avraham is the future of his past. <laughs> the once inevitable consequences of those traumatizing messages and a dynamic possibility that his children like him will work to transform and translate the enigmas of their own past. This is God's offer, the perpetual return of the shofar cry for memory and transfiguration. <laughs> oh, <wow>. Right. <laughs> is what we would say in the South, right? So, so, right, there's so much here. There's so much there. Look behind you. Look to the past. All that pain. And some, at some point, what we're living through right now will be in the past. That pain is part of what will help transform your children. Because they will <laughs> use that thing that was achar, that thing that was back there, that thing that was after. They will use that on Rosh Hashanah to be a call to tshuva, 
to be a call to how can we be better? How can we do this differently so that their children do not have to live with the same pain that the previous generations have had to bear? An incredibly of using Ahar to, to herald a different future that only happens if we take the call of Shofar and the call of Tshuva collectively if we take that seriously. Then there is some redemption to the story. So a, a beautiful teaching. Um, Yehuda Amitai uh, wrote this poem in Open, Closed, Open. In their great love, my parents saved me from disappointment, from pain and sorrow. Now I am left with their savings plan, the pain I would like to spare my children. How all those sayings have piled up on me. My parents always told me, I'll show you, sometimes threatening, sometimes in a voice of sweet love. I'll show you. Just you wait. I'll show you. Someday you'll learn sternly. Someday you'll learn in a soothing, reassuring voice. Do whatever you want, yelling and screaming, and do what you want. You're a free person. Like the good angels singing in chorus, you don't know what you want. You don't know what you want. So this this uh, blog um, post brings that poem forward. Um, and uh, in Midrash Tanhuma, we get a story um, that that Abraham demands because Abraham was ready to sacrifice Isaac, that God forgive Abraham's descendants forever. Because I was willing to do this one horrible thing for you. You need to remember this. And you need to forgive the generations that come after me when they ask for it. And the answer is, okay, look behind you. See that thing on the top of the ram's head? Your children have to use that. If they use that, I will agree that the merit of you being willing to do this, to confront ultimate reality and ultimate stuff that is not easy, because you're willing to do that, I will forgive your offspring. So that's what Midrash Tanchuma says. The ram in the Torah verse is not Aharav behind him. Uh, next highlighted, the top of highlighted thing. It's after. The Akedah in Zornberg's view was a response to Abraham's own psychic crisis. He is saved from repeating the traumas of his past through looking behind in a kind of therapeutic event engineered by God. So then this person goes on to say, I'm not entirely sure about this whole Torah, a psychoanalysis project. Zornberg is. Um, in our history and in many families within our community, there is damage. Unfortunately, not always so different from Abraham's traumatic youth to be repaired. There are a lot of qualms that need resolution. And I don't think we necessarily know individually or collectively all that needs repair or resolution. And I think one of the lessons of the Akedah is that we must make an effort to be conscious of the ordinary and the extraordinary savings plans, in the words of Yehuda Amichai, of pain that we may have inherited so that we're not passing them along unexamined to the next generation. The machzor is designed, I think, to reflect the fact that we're better in general at blaming others than at taking responsibility for our own errors. 
But I think maybe the Akedah, especially Zornberg's reading of it, teaches that we could also use help sometimes acknowledging the other side of those Ashamnas. We've been sinned against. We've been betrayed. We've been robbed. And we've been deceived. Others have acted basely toward us and caused evil for us. That is certainly something we are holding right now, collectively. Some of the individual hurts can be addressed and relationships repaired. In some cases, though, that is difficult at best, right? Because the damaging parties are too damaged themselves to see the hurt they've caused or because they're no longer around or maybe due to another generation savings plan that we're barely conscious of having inherited. One lesson of the Akedah is that we need to look behind. And just as we support each other through communal confession toward repairing injuries we've caused, I believe we need to support each other to repair injuries we've suffered. If they wish me to seek out merit for them, this is quoting the Midrash in Tanchuma. If they wish me to seek out merit for them and remember to their credit Isaac's Akedah, then let them blow the shofar. Turn around and look behind you. I take this very personally because for the first time I have children, grandchildren living in Israel. (laughs) My granddaughter married an Israeli and lives just outside of Jerusalem. And all that's happening is challenging in a different way. And the way you've interpreted it is helpful, very, very helpful. I'm so glad, Sarah. I'm so glad. Because um, I think that's the te- the teaching itself is let us make sure we are looking carefully at this pain and let's be sure we are not going to pass it on to the next generation without being very careful, right, about how, what we do with it so that we don't just lay it, right, on what's coming next. And what is helping me is remembering how I felt, I think it was 1948, when Israel declared self-state. Mm-hmm. And we know what happened then. And we know what happened then. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I'd like to close our time uh, with um, this uh, Trina, uh, a Yiddish prayer, like our, our amazing Sarah Moskowitz, who translates Yiddish poetry. Um, so this is a Trina. So I can't vouch for the translation. Um, but the, it's a Trina that was written in the 18th century. Trinas, there were books of Trinas that women would take to show. And women would read Trinas by other women in show. The men, pff, let them do Torah, let them do Haftarah, let them do all that stuff and speed mumbled up on their way through whatever. They were reading Trinas. They were reading prayers written by other women. No. What does Trinat mean? I don't know that word. Okay. I don't know the spelling because I have it in English. I have, this is, I don't have the Hebrew letters for the spelling. What I have is T-K-H-I-N-E. I know the word because I've seen it in the Hebrew characters. Trina, wait, I think um, I think Barry is Barry answering the question. Let's see. I'd like to beg. Trina, tav chet yud nun hey. Okay, so that's the, and Barry, do you know the shoresh? Like what? 
what it's what Litchanan, like Vaitchanan. It's like Parjat Vaitchanan, it's the same root. Hanan. Hanan, so about Khain? Hanan is like to beg, to implore. Yeah. So for God's Khain, for God's grace. Okay, so so uh, a a a plea a plea, right? A pleading with God. Okay? So I want to close our time with looking at this beautiful uh Tchina. And it's so this is this is true. This is right out of a 18th century book, of, a collection of Trinas, and it's written by a woman named Sarah Bat Tovim. So this is said at candle lighting. So this is a woman's prayer said when a woman lights candles on Shabbos. Through the merit which I gain by preparing the wick for the sake of our foremother, Sarah. Remember, you used to have to prepare the wick. For Shabbos, you needed a clean wick. That that was your definition of a flame for Shabbat. Now we just have candles. They didn't have that. They had they had to clean the wick and prepare the wick for Shabbat. And through the merit which I gained by preparing the wick for the sake of our foremother Sarah, may Hashem Yitbarach, praised be God, remember us for the merit of her pain when her beloved son Yitzchak was led to the binding. May she defend us before God, praised be God that we should not be left widows this year and that our children should not be taken away from us, be taken away from this world in our lifetime. You have commanded us to blow the shofar in Rosh Hashanah using the horn of a ram, a reminder of the binding of Yitzchak. Remember this merit so that we may be able to provide for our children's needs, that we may be able to keep them under the guidance of a teacher so that they may become accustomed to your service and respond, Amen, Yeheshme Rabbah. May the merit of my mitzvah of candles be accepted as equivalent to the flame which the Kohen Gadol lit in the Beis Amikdash, so that it may illuminate the eyes of our children in the study of the Holy Torah. Amen. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday Morning Torah Study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.